I, uh, I got to be honest, I'm a little bit tired, and here's the reason why. is because I have experienced, where I haven't, but I've watched my son experience what are called night terrors. And I did not know what night terrors were prior to this week. I thought night terrors were bad dreams, okay? But this is totally different than night terrors. Night, or, night terrors are um, when your child pretty much becomes like demon-possessed right in front of you. It is a bizarre experience. So what happens is, um, and this happened twice last night, is... Uh, the kids go to bed, and, and my son's three, and he'll wake up in, in uncontrollable rage, which I get. Okay, that's, I get that. That's me. Fine. Okay, but he literally is like sleeping, but just angry. He is like flopping on the floors. He is punching things. He is just, he is losing his mind for 15 to 20 minutes until for some reason I get him to drink water, and then that's like the miracle cure, and he's like, okay, thank you. You know, like he comes out of it. It's weird. It's like, get that boy some milk. And, uh, and so some of you guys got that reference. Thank you us who watch YouTube uh, all the time. Okay, and so uh, it was bizarre because in the middle of the night, last night, we are sitting there and my wife is kind of freaked out because our child doesn't seem like our child. And we're like, what do we do? And this question popped in our mind, like what is inside of him that makes him do this? Like what is, I mean, he's three years old. What is inside of this child that makes him behave like this? He is losing his mind. He is, you can't even control his own, uh, his own motions and emotions. What is wrong with this kid? And that's the question that we're gonna be addressing in tonight's scripture. And so if you have your Bibles, Matthew 12 is where we're at. And uh, for those of you who are uh, new or weren't here last week or not a Bible person, here's what we've been doing. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and Matthew is what's called the Gospels or one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. And it talks about Jesus' life, uh, death, resurrection, all the things Jesus, it's his story. And uh, we've been going through the book of Matthew for like two years now. We're only in Matthew 12, so we got a long way to go. But last week, we talked about probably one of the more intense topics that is addressed within the scriptures, which is the unforgivable sin. Very intense, very crazy, but here's kind of the, uh, the recap of what we learned. The unforgivable sin, according to Jesus, is a rejection of forgiveness that he offers, okay? So he offers us a relationship with him, and when we reject that, he cannot forgive our, any of our sins. And so we talked through that, and if, if you weren't here, you should listen to that, because I think it's pretty interesting, but... Um, Really, the unforgivable sin is a rejection of him. And so it's in within this context of that's what he just finished saying, and he's saying it to the Pharisees. And if you don't know who the Pharisees are, the religious leaders of the day, and they just accuse Jesus of being a miracle worker, so they're not denying he's able to heal people and do things, but the reason why he's able to do it is because he is a worker of Satan. His power is on behalf of Satan. And so it's within this context that we read this next passage. All right, here we go. Here's what it says. Matthew 12, verse 33. 12, verse 33. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruits will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. So Jesus is starting off with a very simple metaphor, all right? Something that I think everyone can kind of comprehend and understand. And simply what he's saying is this. He's saying, you can tell the health of a tree by what it produces, right? So fruit. So you can tell if a tree is healthy dependent upon um, what kind of fruit it produces. So if it's a good or it's a healthy tree, it's gonna produce good fruit. But if it's a bad tree or unhealthy, it's going to either have no fruit or fruit that is uh, potentially harmful to uh, people, right? It could be poisonous, it could be something wrong, rotten, something like that. And the analogy that he's trying to make, or the metaphor, is that this is true of trees, but it's also true of people. And that's what he's really trying to get to the heart of, is he says, you know, if you want to know um, the health of a person, 
And the health he's talking about is not their physical health, but their spiritual health, their, their, their emotional health, what the condition of their heart is, then you need to look at what they are producing in their life. Okay, so don't look at what they say. Don't look, look at what they are producing in their life. And so if you look at their lifestyle, you look at the kind of morals and ethics that they live by, if they have a drama-free or a drama-full life, what their relationships look like, their finances, their health, if you start to get a picture of all the things that their life is producing, you're going to be able to tell if this person is healthy or not. And he's going to say later on about, um, the different arenas of their life, and he's going to focus in on one in particular. But I think that this applies to all the different arenas of our life, is we can tell the health of a person by how they deal with all the arenas. Does their, does their uh, physical health look good, their emotional health, their relational health, their financial health? And of course, one of those things can go off the rails, or we can go through a season in which things aren't going well. But as you look at this person's life as a whole, you try to get a picture of it, does it say that this person is healthy and whole, or does it say this person is broken and, and destructive? And so that's what Jesus is going to try, to try to get at today. He's going to say, whatever the arenas of their life look like, those are indicators of the condition of their heart. So I think um, right off the bat, as we, as we think about this, there is some confusion. Because if you listen to what popular culture would tell us, and maybe this is something that you already you think yourself, is that all religions are pretty much the same. And I hear this all the time. All religions are pretty much the same. They're trying to teach everybody how to be good and moral and ethical people. That's really what all religions in the world boil down to. And if you were, um, if you're going to look at, you know, kind of the effects and the goals of religion, it's going to be something like help me stop doing bad things and do more good things or uh, live according to the golden rule, which is to treat people how you want to be treated or some kind of behavioral modification is the point of religion. And so that's why I think a lot of people um, would be kind of pluralistic. They would say, you know what, whatever you believe is what you want to believe because it's really about the end goal. It's becoming a better person. So whatever is going to help you become a better person, believe that because it all depends on what the end result result is. And Jesus jumps in and he goes, actually, that's not at all what I'm talking about. I am the very opposite. Because if all other religions come on the scene and they say, we're going to help you become a better person, we're going to inspire you, we're going to teach you how to uh, be morally, um, morally good, then Jesus comes along and he says, actually, I'm going to go after the very people who are the most morally upright of the society. If you look at who Jesus goes after all over the New Testament, it is always the most moral people. It's the religious people. It's the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's coming after them and he goes, look, I understand that you know the Old Testament, you know all the rules, the do's and the don'ts, and you follow all of them. In fact, your whole day is consumed with making sure you do all the right things. And yet there is something about your heart that is wrong. And so he goes after the very people whom religion would say is doing well because they're moral. He says, you guys are actually the worst. Now, it's not that he's against us doing good things, clearly, but he looks at their life and he says, it's full of destruction, legalism, fear, discrimination. And so there is something wrong with you at your core. And this challenges the assumption of religion. Religion says, be a better person through your behavior. But Jesus comes along and he says, I'm not really as concerned about your behavior as I'm concerned about your nature, about your core, about your heart, about who you really are. And so if you were going to look at what Jesus' primary goal is, it's not to change what you do, it's to change who you are. Because if you change who you are, then it's going to change your will, what you want to do. And so to change someone's behavior is pretty easy, moral conformity, but to change someone's will, to change their nature, to change their heart is very difficult. But... If you can, you can also change um, what they will do. 
And so when you begin changing at a core level, you begin to act differently. See, uh, there's a famous saying in Christianity, and I couldn't find who said it. There's a lot of different people who have said it over time, but it goes like this. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but dead people alive. See, our cultural belief is that you at your core are your true self. Now, in order to become your true self, you need to follow your desires, your intuitions, your emotions. And so we have things like be yourself, you be you. Be true to yourself. We have this assumption that we are good people and that we need to be true to our, our identity, whatever it is, deep down inside, that we need to hone in on who we truly are. And so we go on journeys, we go on different spiritual journeys or journeys of self-discovery because that's who we really are. We need to figure out who we are at our core. And for someone to come along and say, well, you know what, I think you need to change X, Y, and Z in your life, we will say, no, you can't change me. Don't even try to change me. I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who's going to try to change me. And my immediate response is, but what if you suck? <laughs> like, then should we try to change you? Because like, I know a lot of people who at their core, they suck really bad. And so like, when they say, don't try to change me, I go, but like, you need changing. So now what do we do with that? See, Jesus comes along and he says, in fact, um, not just do I want to change the people who clearly suck, but I want to change all of humanity. Because at their core, all of humanity sucks. He actually says evil, he doesn't say sucks, but I'm just kind of putting my own interpretation in there. As he says, all of humanity, when we look at their core, at their heart, they are naturally not good people, they are naturally evil he says that we are dead spiritually. We do not want the things of God. We do not want a relationship with God. We do not desire to do good things. Everything within us is inherently evil, which if you've been around here for a little bit, we pretty much say that every single week, just as a reminder, just in case you're starting to get like, oh, I'm pretty good. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, like, you still suck this week. No, um, but, but that's kind of what Jesus came to do, is he comes with the assumption that we are naturally evil, that we are selfish, that we are prideful, that we are arrogant. And all the little things that we do in order to um, help other people oftentimes are just to make ourselves feel better. And so there's really not in our natural state anything good about us. So um, this week I watched a, a movie on Netflix, weirdest movie I've seen in probably like ever, Okay. I don't even know if I should tell you the name of it because you might go and watch it and it is so a waste of time. So anyway, but it's in the genre of, and I love this kind, is the like apocalyptic end of the world scenario kind of thing. And I love those, right? I love like the TV show, The 100 and uh, other movies where it's like, oh man, like something disastrous has happened to the world. And so they have to restart and they're like trying to figure out civilization and culture and things like that. And here's what I love about these movies is it is never like a really bright and like, oh, this is so great. It's rainbows and puppies, you know? Like, this is awesome. Everyone is so happy. It's this like dystopian, like, oh, this is horrible. They're cannibals and everybody's eating each other. You know, it's just, I, I don't know why I'm sadistic, but I love that kind of stuff. And here's why I love it is because whenever we think about something happening in the world and us having to kind of recalibrate and, and go back and, and restart, it's never this bright future that we imagine. See, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. When we start to imagine having to restart civilization, we start to imagine it becoming a very destructive and very evil place. Why is that? I think it's because we intuitively know, and writers and directors know this as well, is when they think about humanity, they do not think, you know what, we're full of love and compassion and generosity. And so, you know what, we will just like, we'll create a culture in which those are our values. Every single time we portray what could happen if we had to restart our civilization, it is always far worse than it currently is right now. Why is that? 
It's because those directors and producers and us, we inherently know that there is something evil within us. Yes, we like to point at the good things that we do, but if we're being honest, we know that if we had to restart, if we had to have a Lord of the Flies moment, it's not going to turn out well because it's not our default position to be generous and loving and and caring. Although we want to be those things, we are not those things. And the only reason why there are societies that have existed that have those values is because they were rooted in a Judeo-Christian worldview. Because if you look at human history, these are not things that naturally we come to the conclusion that we should be. These are things that um, we have fought to become because of an underlying assumption of what the world really looks like, which is there is a God and he has sent his son Jesus and he has given us these values and a way to live. And so we will put those within our culture. But it's nothing natural to us. In fact, it is the very opposite. And so uh, if our heart is naturally evil and broken and we really just kind of try to teach ourselves to act a bit more moral, we also have to realize that it is not going to fix our fundamental problem. So if we are at our core evil, and we think that we are going to become not evil by doing these behavioral modification things, what we're really doing is we're really trying to um, salvage something that cannot be fixed. So let me give you a couple of illustrations. Um, I had a dog growing up, and uh, this dog, we came to the conclusion, he was from the pound, we got him at six months old, um, we thought this would be so great, and we found out that this dog was evil, okay? And he was like legit evil. So my parents, they thought, okay, this, this is, we got this dog, we gotta care for this dog, we gotta try to teach this dog. And so he's about 90 pounds, and um, we took him to every trainer imaginable. Like if we could have found Caesar, we would have found him, okay? Because everyone had given up, this dog sucked. And so we went, to every trainer, spent thousands of dollars trying to get this dog to act right. And every trainer came to the conclusion, um, yeah, this dog's evil, so you're just gonna have to get rid of him. And we're like, really? Until one day we just said, yeah, we're good. <laughs> He's done, you know, like he just, there's no fixing this dog. He is evil. You can teach him to be a little bit better, but he is always going to be, I know all you guys like the pet lovers are like, what? It's like, no, yeah, we put him on a farm somewhere and he's running free right now. Um, I actually came home from school. My mom's like, oh, we had to put the dog on. I'm like, good, that dog sucked. <laughs> that's my caring side. Um, and it's like, try, I think that's kind of a, not that we should go and, and put people down, but um, <laughs> don't make that, a, that's not where I'm going with this. Um, it's kind of like my dog though, if he is inherently evil, trying to teach him how to you know, walk a little bit better and not run away when he has the opportunity and not bark at certain times, it, it, it will help him behaviorally a little bit, but he still inherently is evil. That You can't fix that. You can't train that away. And that's who we are as people. We try to train this evil away from us, but inherently it's still there. It's not going to go away. We're not going to make it any better. Okay, let me give you another illustration. Is uh, My first car I got as a hand-me-down from my dad in which he received as a hand-me-down from somebody else. Okay, so the car, when I was 16, was older than I was, all right? And my dad, as a gift to me, he went and he had it by a friend. He had it painted, and it was maroon, okay? And so it was very clearly a very uh, beautiful car. And so he had it painted, and I remember driving around kind of thinking, I just, I sort of wish you hadn't painted it. Because you ever seen those cars where you go, that's such a crappy car, and then they put money into it, you're kind of like, you're an idiot, why would you do that, you know? It's going to be ugly, why did you just put money into something that's already a piece of crap? You know what I'm talking about? It's already, you're not following me, guys, are you, you don't, yeah, thank God bless you. Okay, it's like this, is why try to make something better that's always just going to be a piece of junk? 
And that's really what we do with our behavioral modification is if we are inherently broken, any kind of improvements that we make might make us look a little bit better, but at the end, we're still broken. We're still a mess. So there's a couple crude sayings. I think they're from the Midwest or maybe they're from the South or something like that. And I debated because we're all adults in here. I debated telling you these, but they ring true in my mind. So I'll give it to you. Okay. Uh, Two quotes that I think summarize this view the best is um, it's kind of like polishing a turd and it's like putting lipstick on a pig. Right. Okay. I connected. They're just like, yeah, no, now it makes sense. I got it. Car thing wasn't falling. Turd though. I got you. Um, is you can work really hard at making this look better, but if it at its core is already a turd, it's already a pig, it's already a piece of junk car, it's, a, it's already an evil dog, it doesn't matter how much better you try to make it if it fundamentally is broken. And that's what Jesus says about people. He says, your heart is evil. And so even as you become a little bit less evil by uh, taming down your desires and being able to live within a, a, a society that has rules and laws... Uh, you're still, you're, at the end of the day, going to be broken. You still need a complete overhaul. You can make yourself a little bit better, but at the very best, you're just going to be a little bit less evil. Eventually, you're going to need to be something new. You're going to, be, you're going to need to be recreated. And that's what Jesus says he came to do. And so he continues on in verse 34. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? So remember, he's talking here to the Pharisees and they've already rejected him and now he's calling them out. He's saying, you know, um, you people are kind of like snakes. Now this is a little bit offensive, okay? This is just a, a little bit offensive to them. And here's what I love about Jesus that kind of shocks people whenever they start to read the Bible is they think of Jesus as this hippie, long hair with some kind of silky robe. And he's just like, I just want to hug, man. You know, and then you start reading it and you're like, dude, he's calling you like Satan, like the spawn of Satan. You know, that's intense. He's ready. And Jesus was not afraid to be politically incorrect or offensive. But here's the thing is he wasn't just politically offensive or he wasn't just offensive or politically incorrect for the sake of being that. It was always motivated in love. He always would offend people or he would challenge people, not because he wanted to offend them or challenge them, but because he believed that there was something better. He loved them enough to tell them the truth about who they were or about who other people were or about how the world really works. And so everything that Jesus said was motivated in love. Now, we, I think, have lost this a bit, is when we think about loving someone, we think about just taking them the way that they are and then making sure that we don't ever offend them because the way that you truly love someone is by never offending or challenging them. I think that this is one of the stupidest beliefs that we have because if, you are, um, if you're in a relationship, I think that the worst thing that you can do is allow that person to continue to believe lies or do something in their life that is destructive is the most loving thing that you can do is you can tell them the truth. And I think this brings up a a point that many of us need to hear is is we need friends um, who are gonna be able to tell us the truth in love, to tell us the truth in love. People who are gonna call us out on our stuff, not because they wanna be vindictive, not because they wanna say, I got you, but because they want to see better from you. You can tell their motivation is, I want you to be a better person and I wanna become a better person. And so when I do something that you see as destructive, I want you to tell me because I wanna tell you too. And those are the kind of friendships that we need. Not, that's not the kind of friendships that we desire or that we gravitate towards because the type of friendships that we usually gravitate towards are the people who will agree with us the most. 
right? It's the people who affirm us. We like being around people who like us, right? Is I want to be around people who think, wow, you're really good. <laughs> you amaze me, man. You're amazing. I'm like, I know. I amaze me too. Tell me more, right? Those are the kind of relationships that we want, but those are not the kind of relationships that we actually need. The reason why we don't um, tell people what they really need to hear is because on some level, we think it's not loving to hurt their feelings, right? It's not loving to hurt their feelings. But what we're really saying in those moments is we feel, like it's, uh, we feel like it's us being caring and sacrificial towards the people that we love because we don't want to hurt their feelings. And yet what's really happening there is we're saying we don't want to have to have an awkward conversation or potentially lose that relationship. And so it's advantageous for us not to tell them the truth because they're still going to experience the consequences of whatever it is you're not warning them or calling them out on is if you see this train is coming and it is going to plow them, but you don't want to get involved, it's not because you're trying to help them. They're still going to experience the pain. It's because you don't want to have to go, ah, I got to push you out of the way. So really when we don't tell our friends the truth in love, it's really because we are being selfish. We're not helping them. We might try to uh, put up a smoke screen and say, well, I'm doing it because I don't want them to you know, feel this. Or I don't want them to feel this temporary pain or whatever. No, 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 you're doing it for you not for them. Because if you really love them, then you would tell them the truth so that they could avoid whatever is coming their direction. If you think about how this would play in other arenas of life, I think it makes sense is, um, can you imagine if you had a doctor that acted like some of our friends do or that we do? Like if they knew that there was something coming towards us, some health issue, and they discovered it and they're going, but they're going to be so upset if I tell them. Like, if I tell them that they have cancer, like, can you imagine how angry they're going to be at me? I don't want to have that kind of awkward conversation, so I'm going to tell them, you look good, (laughs) see ya. That would be a horrible doctor, right? That would be a horrible doctor. You would say, no, 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 the most loving thing you can do is tell me what is wrong and then how we can fix this. I, I don't care if it's a little bit awkward for you. I want you to tell me what's wrong so that I don't feel the consequences of whatever this thing is that's heading my direction. And we say this all the time in our own relationships is we go, you know, I don't want to overstep my bounds. I don't want it to be awkward. I don't want to potentially lose that relationship. And it's just going to cause this rift between us. And so I'd rather just avoid it. And what you're really saying is I care more about the temporary awkwardness or potential loss of relationship than I do for whatever happens to you. We don't need friends like that. We need friends who are going to say, you know, in truth and love, I need to come and I need to tell you that there is something destructive, that there's potentially something that could derail your life. In Proverbs, it says this, it says in 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Those are the types of relationships that I want to be in and I think you do as well. It's not the kind that just like, oh, you know, everything's great. Let's just we'll blow past it. We won't think about it. Woo, we're buds, you know. No, no, I want people who go, hey, I saw this in you. Okay, you know, maybe I'm missing it right now, but I saw the way that you treated your wife the other day. Can you help me understand that? What about your money? What are you doing with that these days? How's your heart? Is everything okay? You know, I heard you say this the other day. You were gossiping, you were swearing, you were lying, and man, that's not who you want to be, I don't think. Instead of them just shining me on and being like, hey, buddy, good to see you. No, no, no. I want to have the friends who are going to sit down with me. I had one of those this week in which it was refreshingly challenging, in which someone asked me, a friend of mine asked me some tough questions, where he's like, so what do you think about greed? Well, what about your own life? What's going on with that? And he made me think about the things that normally I would just kind of, you know, not even, I would just shine on, I would just go past. And then he made me think about, well, where's your heart at with this? Well, what about what this thing? And I walked away not being offended that he would ask me or that he was accusing me of something. I went away going, 
oh yeah, for sure, thank you. That's, yeah, I hadn't thought about that recently. And I got to clear up some things in my own mind. Okay, um, oh, I think it also helps us to see some blind spots. It helps us to push each other to growth. And so uh, an illustration I use for this is my dad and I, uh, we go to the gym every morning, well, four days a week, and, um, and we, we meet each other at the gym. Obviously not to do cardio, that's not really our thing. But we go there, and we know that I'm going to be there at 6.45, you're going to be there at 6.45, and I don't want to miss that appointment. Because if I am late, I know I'm going to get a phone call from him, and he's going to be like, oh, what are you doing? I'm here, you're not here. You think you're more important than me? Uh-uh, get here now, right? And it's an accountability. It's he's going to help me stick to my commitments to become who I want to be. And I'm gonna do the same for him. All right, uh, continues on. He says this, and Jesus says this. He says, from the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And so... If you want to know the condition of someone's heart, including your own, listen to what is said over time. Listen to what is said over time. Because eventually all of us have this default mode, and there's a direct connection between what's happening in our heart and what comes out of our mouth. And we might be able to fake it for a little bit, but eventually that default mode, that mode, um, default mode, will re-engage. What I mean by this is uh, if you think about language and you think about maybe um, your primary language for most of us is going to be English, and yet at some time we probably have all tried to learn or were required to learn another language. And so as you're trying to learn that other language, you have to, if you're speaking in that second language, you have to be focused and concentrated on it at all times. Right, my, my very, very broken, very poor Spanish when I go to like Guatemala or something like that, I'm like, okay, what was that word? Uh, Como te llamos, right? And I'm like, so I'm focused on every word and I'm listening to them and I'm trying to think of every word, okay? And let's imagine that you lived in that society in which you had to constantly be talking in that second language. You're gonna be focused on every word that you say and you're gonna be concentrated, but, but you know what happens? As soon as you relax, as soon as you stop thinking about it, you're gonna go back into default mode, which is gonna be English. And you'll start speaking in English because that's, that's your natural disposition. That's, what you're, that's what's gonna flow from you when you're not thinking about it. The same thing is true with our speech in everyday language is when we're not thinking about it, when we're relaxed or when we're really being ourselves, what is in our heart will begin to flow out of our mouth. We can fake it at church for a little bit. I can fake it up here for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever. You can fake it while you're here and you can do the Jesus talk and you can say all those things. But when you're relaxed and you're sitting with your friends or, or you're not thinking about what you're saying and things are just flowing out of your mouth, what is coming out? Is it the same speech that's here on a Sunday or is it a different set of, uh, of words that you're using? Would you use the same terminology? Would you use the same words? Or would you be talking about the same things? When you are hanging out and you're not thinking about what you're saying, what are you saying? Is negativity coming out? How about some kind of greed or lust or envy? Do you, is, is it lying? Is it gossip? What begins to flow out of your mouth when you are just speaking freely? See, this is, uh, this is pretty much what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, you know, your true colors will shine. What the true condition of your heart is will not be when you're focused and you're trying to portray someone who you want to be. It will be in those moments in which you're not thinking about what you're saying. That's when you'll know what is truly inside your heart. 
Now, let me give you a little warning about not just yourself, because it's great to have self-awareness, but I think you also have to be aware of the people that you associate with. And so one of the things that um, I've seen over time is um, people who associate with others, whom they knowingly, they knowingly know that this person is a gossip or is a liar or is a whatever, and they associate with these people. I kind of look at them and I go, look, when this blows up, because it will, I have no sympathy for you. Because you knew that this was going to happen. They told you. They not, may not have explicitly said, hey, um, by the way, this is going to end very badly, this relationship. Um, they may not have said that, but by the things that they were saying, you should have been able to deduce it. It's kind of like if you were hanging out with a drug dealer and you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm not into it and I don't do it. And then you're shocked when you get arrested when, the, when they come and raid the house. And you're like, ah, what, what happened? I didn't even see that coming. It's like, well, then you're an idiot. You should have known that that was coming. The same thing is true with our friends is if they're just saying crazy things all the time, they're gossiping, the fan, all the, and when things hit the fan and you're surprised, I just go, what? How did you not see that coming? That was, that was it was right? No. Okay, good. Um, I've heard people say this before is, uh, you know, but they, they, have a, they have a good heart. They have a good heart. And it's almost always within the context of this person doing something really stupid and then their friends or their family go, but they, they're, you know, they have a really good heart. And I want to respond with, and I don't, but I should, is no, they don't. No, they don't have a good heart. You just saw their heart. All the other stuff was them trying to be something that they're not. It was them putting on a show for you. But what you saw right there when they blew up, when they yelled at you, when they did something violent, when they, that is actually who they are. They don't have a good heart. They have a bad heart. They just make you believe that they have a good heart. It was quiet in here. Um, <laughs> Remember, remember the first year that I was, uh, I went to, uh, as a pastor, I went to Hume Lake and uh, we had like, I don't know, a ton of kids and I had just stepped into this position. And so I was just like trying to figure everything out. And I think it was like the second or third day, Travis and I, um, we were hanging out with the kids and we had an entire cabin, like three stories, except for the bottom basement, there was two rooms in which another church um, was, was in those two rooms. And so we have like, I don't know, 50, 60 guys in this cabin, and there's like 10 guys who are down in the basement. Well, the pastor comes up, and um, he starts yelling at our students. And so Travis and I get back to the cabin, and we go, we hear about this, and they're like, hey, yeah, this pastor... He was yelling at us. He was saying crazy things and whatever. And we're like, what? Like, let's go fight him right now. And so we go down there. I didn't say that, but we go down there and we find this pastor and we get him. He was already back in bed. We get him out of bed and we pull him outside and, and we're standing there. And this dude, this was the craziest thing. He starts cussing at me and swearing me up and down. And you mother, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And I was like, whoa, what? Like, this is crazy. I wasn't even mad. I was like, what? This is, this is amazing. And so he's just saying crazy. I have never, I mean, he's cussing like a sailor. And he's the youth pastor of this group. And I'm just losing my mind like this. I don't know what to do. I was not prepared for this, you know? And so, and so, uh, I walk away from this conversation kind of like, what do we, I don't know, do we go tell somebody? Do we like tie him up? I don't, I'm not sure what the, I don't know what the appropriate response is in this moment. And so we decide not to tie him up. And, uh, and so we go and we tell like the, the director of the camp, we're like, dude, the craziest thing just happened and whatever. And so the guy, we end up, uh, they end up calling him in the office with us. And his whole thing is what? They're just words. They're just words. They're just words. It doesn't matter. They're just words. And I realized, no, no, it's not just the words that you're saying, clearly. That's, that's not the issue. It's what is coming from your heart that's the issue. You have a serious problem. 
It's not just that you've said these explicit or profane words that none of us have never heard before. Yes, we know those words. It's what is representative of what's happening within your heart that is the issue. And so it was crazy. He ended up getting kicked out of camp, and his kids ended up having to have like a... It was crazy. The whole thing was crazy. But I just remember this thing. These words represented so much. They represented what was happening within his heart and in his life. And you could just tell, wow spiritually, emotionally, relationally, you are a disaster. And I can find that out within a three-minute period of the words that you used. See, it shows us that the words that we use are not just words, but they are representatives of what is happening internally. So um, one of the things I was thinking about when I was trying to think of some takeaways of this passage, and there's a little bit left, but here's the big takeaway that I want you to remember, is one of the most important things that we can learn how to do, not just as Christians, you don't have to be a Christian to, to need to know this, but that's gonna help us in life. And I'm shocked by how few people are good at this, is being able to judge someone's character. And what I mean by that is be able to discern what's actually happening internally. Not like, make, like judge them like, oh, you're this person. No, 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 just to be able to like actually read their character and see who they truly are. And I think if we can learn to do that, we are going to be... Um, we are gonna be so far ahead in life and we're gonna be able to avoid so many heartbreaks and disastrous relationships. And so it's funny, as Amy and I were driving yesterday and we were talking about um, people getting married and I, and I just sometimes look at people who are gonna get married and I go, ooh, that is gonna be a train wreck. You know, like that is gonna be a disaster. And, and it seems obvious, right? Like, look, you got issues and you got issues and they're unresolved. And when you come together, it's going to explode and it's just going to be this disaster. And we started laughing because um, we started to think back of all the premarital counseling that I've done. And 50% of the premarital counseling I've done, I've told them not to get married. <laughs> Which I was like, don't come to me if you want to get married. Um, but it's because I think that there's something to being able to see people's character for who they truly are. And if we can do that, it doesn't mean like, oh, you're a horrible person. You're gonna, no, no, no. But there are character issues that are going to need to be resolved before you get. And I've had those people who actually listened and said, hey, I think there's some stuff in your life that you need to resolve before you guys get married. And they actually listened. They came back and we discussed it. I went, yeah, cool. Like you're getting this stuff done. You're, you're wrestling through this stuff. Now I think this is going to be a, a great start to your marriage. Because if you had done it before and you just jumped in this marriage, it would have been a disaster. And so one of the most important things we can do is we need to be able to see people for who they truly are. I think one of the ways that we do this is, um, is not just through the words that they say, although that's going to be a huge, uh, give us a, a huge revelation of what's happening within. But I think the primary way in which we can judge a person if they have good character or not is by becoming people of good character ourselves. One of the best ways to recognize someone with good character is to have good character, know what it looks like, know what it feels like, and then when you meet someone who doesn't, you go, you're not like me. You don't act like me. You know, I get this feeling that what you're saying right now is not actually what's happening inside. And you can start to see the fake from the real because you are the real. So uh, I was watching a video this week, and I don't know how I came across this, but it was a documentary on um, MMA fighters in the beginning of MMA. And one of the people in which they um, did a profile on was one of the first well-known MMA fighters, but he never actually got in the ring. He, I think he got in the ring one time, but he became this huge professional MMA fighter. He was like a spokesperson and all this stuff. 
And then they realize that this guy doesn't know how to fight. He has been faking his way this entire time. And the way that they realized it was some real MMA fighters got a hold of some footage of him training in the gym. And he was punching and, you know, this, and they went, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Because to me, I don't know, he's punching bags. I don't know, it looks like him punching bags. But to them, they go, no, no, we know how to fight. And as he's hitting those things, and he's kicking those things, and he's trying to do these submissions, we realize he has no clue what he's doing. And see, the same thing is true of people's character, is you can identify if people are genuine and real because you have become that yourself. You are the real deal, and so you can recognize the real deal. As, uh, as Project Pat says, real recognizes real, and uh, I live by that motto. Okay, uh, here we go. As a rapper, by the way. See, you guys are so, it's fine. Uh, 36, here we go. Now, Jesus is gonna end with a big finale here. And what I mean by that is he's gonna kick us in the teeth. Here we go. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. He's just so light and fluffy, isn't he? I just, oh gosh, it just makes me, I just, oh, I've got a bed feeling warm fuzzies. Um, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that based on your words, the words that you use, you will either be acquitted, that means that your sins will not be held against you, or you will be condemned, all based on the words that you say. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you know that um, we are not forgiven of our sins based on what we do. It's by faith alone, not by works, that we are forgiven, right? We're not going to impress God with anything that we do. But then it seems like Jesus turns around and he says, well, actually, it's by the words that you say that you are going to either be forgiven or you're going to be condemned. What? How do we make sense of this? Well, remember, go back to the very beginning, because what Jesus says is he says that um, your words are going to represent what is actually happening in your heart. And so what condemns you or saves you is your relationship, how genuine you are in the acceptance of forgiveness and relationship with God. And the way that we know if we are genuine or not is gonna flow from the words that we say. But he actually goes a little bit further than this. He says in this, um, this phrase right here, and it can be translated in different translations, but here it says empty words. And empty words is not just like, oh, you know, like your, your profanity or you're saying negative things or you're talking about people or whatever. That's actually not what he's saying. Um, yes, those would fall into the category, but he's saying empty words is in things that have insignificant or no meaning. Small talk, pointless words that you're saying. Now, this is, this is kind of this is gonna push us over the edge a little bit. Because he's not just saying like if you reject me and you're you know, godless and you're out there cussing like a sailor and all this kind of stuff. He actually says um, your, heart, or your, your, your heart is going to be revealed by not only the negative things that you say, but just by the worthless things that you say. That you are going to have, and this is, this is me imagining, that you will sit in front of God on the day of judgment and he will have a book of your sayings on there. Can you imagine if God puts a book and it's got every word that you have ever spoken right there, right? Because it does say that, right? I'm not, I'm not totally making this up. Like it says that every empty word that you have spoken, okay? So it's got every word. It is a book of Cody's words, all right? It's gonna be a long book. And let's say, let's just imagine that he has divided it up into chapters. All right, Cody, let's go to the first chapter. First chapter is on cars, 
Oh, it's a big chapter. That's worthless. Okay. All right. Next chapter. What did you talk about? Girls. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's get past that one quickly. Right. Okay. Let's go to the next chapter. Gossip. Oh, let's see what you had to say in the gossip chapter. And then we get to the last chapter. It's like things of God. And it's like this little chapter. And he's like, wow, that's a, that's a pretty small chapter you had there. Right. And he judges me based on what words I have spoken throughout my lifetime. Not just all the profanity and the bad things that I said, but just like, okay, so here's all the empty talk, and then here was the talk that you had of significance. And that revealed the condition of your heart. What was really in your heart? Desire for things? Gossip? People? What, 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 were you, what did you really care about? Because what you really care about is what you talked about. And so when he says that we're going to be judged based on our empty words, what he's saying is, you know, you're going to see that your words are gonna reveal a lot about what you care about. And it's not just the negative things, it's the neutral things, it's the nonsense things. Because the words have power. I think we all know that words have power and we've, we've heard this our entire lives and we could probably even witness it tonight. If you don't believe me, guys, go and test it right after this. You could either make or break someone's night just based on a sentence that you say to somebody. If I went to uh, you know, my, my wife and I'm like, wow, you are... Ooh, you're looking pregnant and swollen, right? She would go, screw you, you're sleeping on the couch, right? Or if I went, hey, you're glowing tonight. You look amazing. Ah, I just, I, you know what, I don't think you've ever looked better. She would go, let's get home, right? <laughs> let's get home. Yeah. Can you get pregnant twice? I don't think so, but we could try. No, no, no. <laughs> funny. She's next door, so she ain't even here. So that's funny. That's that. yeah, a good time. <laughs> anyway, let's see if you guys are awake. Okay. <laughs> so here's the, here's the last thought. Last thought. This is this. Last thought is our words, our words not only reveal who we are, but they have the ability to change other people's lives, both for the positive and the negative. We can either bring life or we can bring death. And so our primary concern is who we are, where is the condition of our heart, and then how are we able to take the life that is within us, this new life, this new creation, this new heart, and able to speak life into other people, into a world that's full of death, that's full of decay, that if you look at the political realm, if you look at the, it is just, it's just nasty, and yet we have the opportunity to come in and use these words, these powerful words, uh, to bring life. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for, uh, for this church, uh, for these, these young adults, and just the um, opportunity that we have to come to a community in which there are people like us. There are people in the same life stage with the same struggles, thinking about the same stuff, and, uh, and we can do life together. And so, Lord God, we want to first thank you for that, but primarily we want to thank you because we have a reason to be here, and that reason is that we get to come and worship you and enter a relationship with you, find meaning and purpose and significance, and, and we get to do that together. And so, Lord God, I just thank you for um, how good you are to us. And I also want to pray for Ryan as we are uh, about to uh, throw a party for him, and we are celebrating the incredible work that he has done here, but we also know that his work in the kingdom has just begun and that you have called him to an incredible opportunity that we are so excited about, and yet we are, we're bummed because he's gonna be going to a new place, and yet we are excited because um, we know that you are at work. 
And so, Lord God, we thank you for Ryan, and uh, we thank you for uh, what an incredible man of God he is. In your name we pray. Amen.